Okay, so um, we're starting what's hopefully going to be a, a new series in Daniel. Um, if Ian asks me to, to come and do this again, um, it's recording, so he's, he's going to hear all this. Um, so hopefully, hopefully he will come and ask, he asks me to do this again. Um, yeah, we're going to think about Jan, Daniel chapter 1 um, that Will read to us earlier. Um, I think when we start a new series anywhere in the Bible, it's good to think about some of the background, the historical context um, and hopefully that will um, help us to understand it better. Um, I don't want to spend too long on this, but I'll just kind of give you a brief overview about where we're at um, in the Bible, in Daniel. Um, so the book of Daniel itself, it was written by Daniel, um, a prophet from Israel. Um, Jesus confirms this later on. Um, it's about 605 BC, we think. Um, and Daniel is from the tribe of Judah, um, which is part of Jerusalem. Uh, sorry, part of Israel. Um, now, hundreds of years earlier, God had chosen a man called Abraham to be the start of a new nation, his special chosen people. Um, he had a son called Isaac, who had a son called Jacob, who had 12 sons, um, and they all became the tribes of Israel. Um, they were in Egypt for 400 years in slavery, and eventually um, a guy called Moses led them out. Um, and led them to the promised land. Um, and they, they had this big area of land, um, and Judah took a big chunk in the south of the land. There were three great kings um, for the United Kingdom of Israel. Um, there was Saul, followed by David, and then Solomon, um, that Carl was talking to us about earlier. Um, but then after that, there came some bad kings, and the kingdom was split in two. Um, there were some good kings and bad kings in both the north and the south, um, but the people started to turn away from God, um, and they were worshipping idols and the pagan gods. Now, God obviously wasn't particularly pleased about this, so he decided that their punishment was going to be exiled to a foreign land. So the, the northern tribes were taken away to Assyria, um, and then, as we read in the, in the first verse here, Babylon came and took some of the people of Judah um, so that's where we are now, about 605 BC. A few people have been taken from Judah into Babylon. And the Babylonians were going to come back um, another two times later on um, and kind of take all of the people out of Judah. Um, so this, this um, particular raid, they take some of the, um, some of the royalty in Judah. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's where we are. Daniel is one of those people. He's living in exile in Babylon. And the land that God has promised them seems a long way away. They're living in a pagan culture. Um, and it seems like all the hope is gone. So there's two main things that I want us to look out for in Daniel. And that's true this morning and it will be right throughout the book. Um, first one is the faithfulness of Daniel and his friends to God in this godless culture. And secondly, is the sovereignty of God, seeing how he works out his purposes, despite appearances to the contrary, and looking at what he's going to do in the future. Well, that's going to be helpful background on what we're thinking about today and uh, in the future. I'm just going to have a drink, so my last quite dry. Well, we've had a history lesson. Um, now we're going to have a bit of a science lesson. Um, please forgive me for that. Um, I, I don't know if you can remember being taught about something called catalysis. 
Um, basically, a catalyst is something that speeds up or enables a chemical reaction to happen. So an example of this is turning vegetable oil into margarine. I think they use um, nickel. So they put some nickel in the vegetable oil, um, adding some hydrogen, and it turns into margarine. I'm sure there's a lot more detail than that, but I'm sure you don't need to know that. <laughs> uh, so, but, but the point is the nickel is still there at the end. It's just a catalyst. It just makes a reaction happen. It doesn't actually get involved. Um, so, well, it, it gets involved, but it doesn't get used up. I think in the same way that God calls Christian believers to be kind of like a catalyst um, involved in the world, but not absorbed by the world. And I think that's what this first chapter of Daniel is all about. So I've got three points, like all good sermons. Um, so God wants us to be involved in the world. Um, God wants us not to be absorbed by the world. And God wants us to remember that it's his world. So that's where we're going. Um, hopefully um, that's going to be a helpful outline as we think about it. So we've got this bunch of people who've been taken from Judah and placed in Babylon, including Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. You're probably not going to give those names to your children. Um, but they're the pick of the Israelites. Just have a look at how they're described. In verse 4, if you've still got that open, um, they're young, they're handsome, they're athletic, they're intelligent. You know, that's, that, that's the kind of um, people you want your daughter to marry. So, yeah, they, they've got it all. Um, and they get taken to Babylon, basically to be brainwashed into the Babylonian culture. And um, King Nebuchadnezzar obviously wants to weaken the Israelite nation by taking all of their best people. So they're given new names, Babylonian names. Um, their old names all referred to God, to Yahweh, to the, the Israelite God, whereas the new names all refer to the Babylonian God. Um, and they're to be taught all about the Babylonian culture, um, to do stuff like um, astrology, um, and predicting the future and that sort of thing. Um, but they don't seem to complain about any of this. We don't see anything um, to say that they complain. They just kind of get on with it. I mean, they don't really have a choice about being taken to Babylon. That's out of their control. But they don't kick up a fuss and rebel. They just kind of get on with it. And they obviously work hard as well. Um, look at verses 18 to 20. At the end of the time, set by the king to bring them in. The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Now they've obviously worked hard. It's not like they've just shown up to their lectures or whatever, um, but they've actually been involved in, and engaged in it. So think back to the catalyst. It's not going to do a job and be effective if it's left out. If you don't put it into the reaction, it's not going to do anything. And in the same way, um, as Christians, we can't be a good witness and fulfil our calling if we're not engaging with the culture, if we cut ourselves off from it. 
an extreme example of this. Um, you might have heard of the Amish people, or Amish, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, in America, um, mostly who cut themselves off from the world. They don't have electricity or telephones or cars and wear really old-style clothing um, and basically kind of live in these communities that are cut off from the world. But that's disobeying Jesus' last command before his ascension. Um, because he says in Matthew 28, when he ascends into heaven, he said that believers should go into the world and make disciples of the nations. It's not about us infiltrating the ranks and um, being in positions of power where we can make people believe things, but it's about individual people like Daniel and his three friends affecting other individual people and being, being a good witness to the great God that we serve. But I think Christians um, can often fall into the trap, um, myself included in this, of becoming a kind of holy huddle, as some people call it, where we don't really interact with people outside of the church. We might not have any friends that are Christians and spend all of our time with other believers. Well, that's no good, really. We ought to be engaged in culture. And what we're not to do as we do that is to point the finger and say, Oh, isn't our culture bad? You know, the kids of today, the fact is, really, Christians and non-Christians are like a sinful. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, non-excluded. The only difference is that God, in his mercy, forgives the sin of those who trust in him and in the death of his son, Jesus, on the cross, to be our substitute. So God wants us to be involved in the world. Well, that's one side of what we see about Daniel and his friends. to get involved in the Babylonian culture. But the other side is that they don't get overtaken by it. God doesn't want us to be absorbed by the world. This is the whole issue of them choosing not to eat the meat and the wine from the king's table. Now it's a bit confusing, um, this issue, and different people come to different conclusions about why Daniel and his friends did this. Um, Some say that it's all of the food laws. So earlier on in the Bible, God gives the Israelites some laws about the food they're supposed to eat and not supposed to eat. Um, but it can't be about that because wine isn't included. Wine, you know, they're fine to drink wine. Um, others suggest that it's to do with the fact that it's been offered to the idols of the Babylonians, um, to their false gods. But it can't be that either because the vegetables would have been equally with the meat and the wine. Um, and I don't think Daniel's just suddenly decided to go vegetarian um, for some reason. What I think is happening is that Daniel and his friends choose a point on which to make a stand, and they stick to it. We're not really sure, it's not explained to us why they choose this particular point, but they do. And the reason is they don't want to be assimilated into the culture um, of the Babylonians. They're already taking on the Babylonian citizenship, they're living there, they're um, doing, you know, all the, all the things of the Babylonians learning about the culture and they've even taken on the new names. 
But if they don't choose a point um, that they're going to stand on and say, here's the line that I'm not going to cross, then they're going to be on a slippery slope to being completely engulfed in the culture and losing all of their um, Israelite heritage, including uh, worshipping God. Now verse 8 uses the word resolve. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. It's quite a strong word, isn't it? It shows determination. He's made a decision and he's going to stick to it. But that doesn't mean he flat out refuses the food and the wine. He's really polite, isn't he? Um, he asked the official for permission. And um, then he, he offers this test. Um, so they, the, the vegetables and the water for 10 days, and they're looking, at the end of it, they're looking more healthy than the other guys. Um, but yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't bulldoze in there and just refuse, but he's, he's polite and kind. So they've chosen a point to stand on. And the other, the other thing is, if they stick to these small matters, when the bigger ones come up, um, they're going to be able to deal with them. And we see that that's true later on in the book, in chapter 3 and chapter 5, where they face real persecution and hardship, and they're able to stand because they've stood on these smaller points. It's that catalyst again. It's no good if it gets absorbed into the reaction. You want it to still be there at the end. It means it's totally lost its usefulness. It can't be used again if the catalyst gets used up in the reaction. And it's not going to be the result that you want. You're not going to get the chemical at the end that you wanted. And I think, again, Christians can be like that bad catalyst that's used up. Living in a way that's the same as the world and not distinctive. Choosing to be accepted by the culture and absorbed into the culture instead of drawing a line somewhere that sets us apart as different and helps us stand firm in the bigger matters. It's about making choices that are going to lead in a godly direction. Now, I think this is a personal matter. It's something to think about on your own, to pray about. It's a heart thing, not a head thing. It's not a list of rules that I'm going to give you that you can tick off and say I've done this it's about it's about our heart and our personal relationship with God and working out what it means for us to draw the line and to make a stand and um, we need to think about Christian freedom as well the New Testament talks about us having freedom um, in what we do not having to follow all the old laws but um, having a choice and some things might be in one category for one person and the other category for another. So some things um, for one person might help us to be included in the world and to engage with the world. But for another person, that might be something um, that they need to make a stand on. So I'm not, I'm not going to give you any concrete examples. That's something for you to think about and pray about personally. Well, it's not an easy thing to do. 
And I think we all fall into one uh, camp or the other. There's two extremes here. There's not being involved in the world and going into a bubble. And it's becoming the same as the world, being absorbed by it. And the thing that's going to help us avoid both of those extremes is um, the doctrine of God's sovereignty. So the truth in the Bible, that God is the king, he's the Lord, he knows exactly what's going on, he's in control. So God wants us to remember that it's his world that he's in charge of. Daniel and his friends are convinced of this. Uh, verse 2 and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar it's God that's doing it Um, and then later on um, where are we verse 9 and God caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel and finally in verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds. So the Bible's pretty clear that God is in ultimate control over the universe. It might not seem that way. One of the big objections to Christianity is, is that there's a lot of suffering in the world. And why would an all-loving, all-powerful God allow suffering like that to happen? Maybe it's a question you wonder about yourself. But it might seem like God isn't in control, just as it must have seemed to the Israelites, to Daniel, and, um, and all those people who got taken away to Babylon, that God wasn't in charge, and that the Babylonian gods were bigger. Nebuchadnezzar even takes away stuff from the temple, or the precious, um, precious gold and, and that sort of thing from the temple, and takes them to the temple of his own gods, But ultimately, God is working out his purposes through all of these events. He's in control of all of that. Now, another part of the answer to this, um, to that question about suffering, is that all suffering is caused by human sin. When the Bible talks about sin, it means ignoring God and repaying the gifts, the good gifts that he's given us, and by living as if we're our own God and making our own rules and our own decisions and choosing how best that we live our life. No one's immune from this. As I've said before, the Bible says that all of us have sinned. And the rightful punishment for that is spiritual death and eternity without God after our physical death. And that's what the Bible calls hell. We're all facing the same thing. But God is a loving and merciful God. He stepped into the world in the person of Jesus Christ in the Middle East in the first century. He lived a perfect life. And then he died on the cross as a substitute for our sins. So for those who trust in Christ's death in our place, God's sovereignty means that he keeps his promise. There's an eternal future in heaven awaiting those who trust in God. So how, how is it going to affect us?
But if we don't trust in God's sovereignty, either we're going to fear the culture and hide away, or we'll think that God's not in control, that the world's gods are better, and no one is going to believe us anyway. So we'll either fall away or we'll just keep our faith to ourselves and not talk about it to anyone. Now, Daniel and friends are a great example to us. They trust in God's sovereignty and that leads them to being involved in the world, involved in the culture, without being absorbed by it. They are a great example, but it's not about trying harder to be like them. It's not about mustering up the strength to um, say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not wanting to point a finger and say, here's some rules to follow. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. Everything that they did, Daniel and his friends, everything they did was done in God's strength. They're relying on him to help them to live in Babylon without letting it consume them. Relying on him and not on themselves, on their own strength or intelligence or anything like that. And by God's grace, the Holy Spirit is working in those who um, trust in the Lord. Because Jesus didn't just pay the penalty for our sin. But he helps us to um, overcome the power of sin. Helps us to become more like Jesus, more holy in the way that we live. Jesus is the ultimate example of what we've been talking about today. He was among the people. He came down from heaven. He left his place in heaven and was born in human flesh. But he was among the people. He didn't cut himself off. He didn't stick with all the religious types, the Pharisees. He was with the people. But he didn't get absorbed by the culture. We told a few stories, um, well, lots of stories about Jesus. Um, a couple in particular um, are the, the temptations that he faced in the wilderness. So he was in the desert for 40 days and faced temptations from the devil. But he made a stand. He wasn't absorbed into the culture of, I'll do what I want to do and make my own decisions. And his apostle, Peter, when Jesus started talking about the fact he was going to go to the cross, Peter didn't like it and he said, no, that's, that's not going to happen. And Jesus made a stand and he actually says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He made a stand and said, no, I'm not going to follow, I'm not going to be absorbed by the norms of this world and live for myself, but I'm going to be obedient to God Jesus didn't just do it as an example for us to follow, but he actually did it for us. We're not doing this to be right with God, but because he has made us right with him through Jesus' death. So when Jesus died on the cross, 
He didn't just take away the bad stuff that we've done. But he gave us all the good stuff that he had done. Including his involvement in the world without being absorbed by the world. So that means that if if we do trust um, in Christ and his death on the cross... In one sense, we we don't have to live that way because Jesus has already done it for us. But given God's amazing grace and mercy to us, shouldn't we want to live that way as a result? Okay, so let's um, wrap all this up. We've seen that God wants us to be involved in the world without being absorbed by the world. And he wants us to remember that it's his world. What effect is it going to have on us? But if you're a Christian, it's going to mean thinking carefully about which points you're going to stand on. It's going to mean thinking about which extreme you, um, which extreme you're tempted towards the most. And remembering that God's sovereignty allows us not to go into either extreme. And if you're not a Christian, I just want you to think about what the world is like. Is it as it should be? Is your life the way it should be? If there's a sovereign God who loves you, who is all-powerful. Well, God is sovereign. And God will punish sin. But there is a way for us to be right with him by trusting in Jesus on the cross. Those who trust in God, just like Daniel and his friends did, can look forward to an amazing eternal future with him in heaven. I'm just going to pray to finish. Father God, we thank you once again for your word. Thank you that you've um, shown us today that you are sovereign, that you are the ultimate power and authority in the universe, Lord. We pray that we would remember that and that it would help us to avoid both extremes of hiding away um, away from the culture and of being um, completely absorbed by it, Lord. And I pray that you'd be working in our hearts um, to help us to remember that and to change us through it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.